welcome to yet another episode of Not So Trivial Pursuits. I am Dan Fleek. And I am Jesse Kess. And we are, of course, a podcast that discusses comics, films, TV series, literature, and a little bit of everything in between. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. And today we're going to do a little fun one. It's another opinionated one of our opinions. Yes. So hopefully you care. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you care and maybe agree with the yeah, one or maybe both. Maybe you do. And we're going to talk about what our favorite movies are and why. Yeah. So. So. What is your favorite movie? And my, let's talk about, obviously, the movie itself, your opinion. I think but, we already know each other's. Yeah, but let's uh, give a little information about the movie, too, like like who directed it. Oh, I, I got stuff it. Stuff like that. So It's all off the top of the head. I just want yeah, you to know. It's all off the top. Of That's the why it's dome. so impressive. Yeah. My favorite movie is Blade Runner, the 1982 classic. Except I don't like the 1982 version, and there were seven versions of Blade Runner. That's what I was going to say. Which version? <laughs> I like the 2007 Final Cut, because that is when Ridley Scott truly got to have his vision come across. And the director's vision is so important, which is something that we discussed on another episode with Justice League, of course. Yes, yeah. Uh, Blade Runner, the final cut, is my favorite edition. Honestly, there's not that much difference between the director's cut, which I think came out in 2004, and the final cut, which came out in 2007. And the final cut versus the director's cut, Ridley Scott just touched up some colorizations and a few things like that. But things he did change as far as color palette-wise did add to the overall appeal of the film. So that was cool. Um, Why Blade Runner is my favorite movie ever. Yes. Okay. I also recently finally read the <laughs> book that it was based on, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, yep. by Philip K. Dick, the one and only. Of course. That was cool. <clears throat> uh, the book and the movie are not very similar, although I will say that Blade Runner and its sequel, 2049, are definitely a child of the book. Yes. They are informed, informed by the book, I will say. But the directors have had their own unique visions, which is cool. So the reason why I think that Blade Runner is a great film, there I have, I have several reasons for it. I think it's the best movie that Ridley Scott has ever directed. <laughs> um, he's done a lot of good stuff. I mean, he's done Gladiator, which is great. And he's done Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Alien... Yeah. Uh, he, he has a long rap sheet. He's, a, he's, he's a done good, a lot of movies. He's a good guy. He's, he's pretty, pretty good famous. at it. The only other one of his movies that would come close for me would be Alien. Original. The original, the yes. first one. Okay. But I digress. Um, the One of the reasons why Blade Runner is so important is because this movie really established what the visual palette was for cyberpunk, which okay. is a subgenre of science fiction. This movie, before this movie, there was never a visual palette mm-hmm. established for what cyberpunk would be. And for those of you that may not be familiar with what cyberpunk is, cyberpunk is a, like I said previously just now, a subgenre of science fiction where 
Uh, technology is much more prevalent in the future. It's usually almost always dystopian, which is the future is kind of dark, unforgiving, and pretty pessimistic. Um, the hack hackers and hacking technology, computers are a big part. Technology is a big part, like I said, and that kind of that kind of culture has permeated. The biggest corporations in the world are uh, Asian corporations because they're the technological pioneers, which I think we can agree upon that today. <laughs> so Chinese, Japanese corporations are the biggest corporations, and they kind of dominate the world. And an author that really established what cyberpunk was for everybody was the one and only William Gibson, mm. one of my favorite authors of all time. He's a huge SF pioneer. And uh, apparently when he saw Blade Runner, he was during... Because the original theatrical cut of Blade Runner came out in 1982. William Gibson's seminal cyberpunk SF novel, Neuromancer, came out in 1984. And so, of course, he saw Blade Runner in theaters. And when he saw Blade Runner in theaters, apparently he was so, he was so worried when he saw it because he said, he, said, oh my, he said to himself, oh my God, he has he's taken what's in my brain and he's put it on the screen. Everyone is going to think from now on that I have just copied Blade Runner. But he had been and he had been working on it for longer than that and of course his short story Burning Chrome which would show that to us. Hmm. But if I'm not if I'm not mistaken um uh Blade Runner was kind of a cult classic. Right, it, it was. wasn't like a huge, massive critical success or uh, financial success or whatever at the time, right? Yeah, because the thing was what that people don't know now is because not a lot of people watch this version. So the original theatrical cut and a lot of the cuts after that have a voiceover by Harrison Ford. It's kind of a voice narration to the entire film that he was pressured upon by the studio to do. He didn't want to do it. Ridley Scott didn't want to do it. But the studios thought that what was happening in the film was too confusing for the viewer, so they forced him to do basically a voice monologue explaining everything in the movie. And in the theatrical cut and some of the ones after that, he he, he sounds like he phoned it in <laughs> because he doesn't really care because yeah. <laughs> he didn't want to do it, and they all thought it was stupid. Yeah. And it's very obligatory. So at first, definitely a cult classic, yes, because... People liked like what it, the visuals and stuff like that, but the it, and I've I've seen the theatrical cut. It's very distracting because it's it's super annoying to listen to him just drone on like, uh, and then I did this and that blah blah. Is blah, it blah. throughout like pretty much the whole the entire movie. film? Oh, okay, <laughs> it's the whole movie. And honestly, this might be like I can't. I don't know when they took that out. I probably should. But I know that direct, the director's cut and the final cut don't have it. If you're going to watch it, just watch the final cut. I mean, it's been out for 11 years now, or actually 12. So just just go ahead and watch that. Yeah. I mean, why would you not? At that's this what point, I watch. Yeah. That's what I have. That's what I gave to you to watch. Yeah, that's what I watch. <laughs> I watch your version. Yeah. So that's what you should watch, honestly, because it's the final word of Ridley Scott's film. So I've talked about one reason why I think it's so great. And I will talk about another reason why it has always been, I think, at heart, like critically liked, critically beloved. It's because it's a deeply human movie. Yeah. And the book is as well. 
both of the both the film and the original novel that it's based on discuss what it means to be human. Right. And empathy is a huge part. More so in the book, empathy is like the central factor. Yeah, very much so. In the movie, it's more so just kind of like, I would say, illustrating the human condition. Mm-hmm. And how the what what the finite existence of human life is, because one thing about uh, the movie and the book is that androids in the book version, replicants in the film version, have a finite lifespan because they are of course machines that are designed for all intents and purposes to look and operate as humans do, but they haven't worked out all the bugs yet, so. The Nexus Sixes in the movie, which is like the final, the most advanced copy, they have a lifespan of I think six years, which is not that long. Yeah, at all. A little short. <laughs> and uh, they really explore what it means to be human, and that like is a human life more valuable than an android life that humans have created because we fill it with all these memories and emotions and consciousness and what is really what it really is to be human like what separates us from these machines if these machines become so advanced that they're almost like us and it becomes hard for us to tell them apart from us and we have to have a special test yeah exactly to tell them apart and the tests are different in the movie and the book as well I'm not going to go into the super details of that, but it just it's it's supposed to try to elicit emotional responses and stuff, mm-hmm. and see how the machine versus the human responds. It's basically the same in both. Now, I'm I'm have not finished the book completely. I'm more than halfway through. Uh, you have. Mm-hmm. Personally, I know that Blade Runner, the film, has a obviously certain place in your heart as a, oh, yeah. a great film and uh, beloved by you. Uh, how would you say that the book compares to the movie the as book? A quality instead of just kind of story interpretation? The book is very good. I imagine them kind of like a, a fork in the road type of thing. Or like you were on a similar track, but the road forks. Right. And it's they're parallel to each other, mm-hmm. but they're not on the same line. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not a railroad track. Yeah. Or they're right next to each other. So I would say they're like that. And I think to an extent the film it does it definitely like leaves some things out. It adds certain things because Ridley Scott had a specific vision. But I think the thing that's really great about the film is it, like, takes some of the ideas and it really runs with it. Yeah. And it, it, a lot of it is just so, so cool. I mean, the soundtrack is amazing. It has this really haunting, like, 80s <laughs> kind of, like, techno, electro, electronic, like, soundtrack. It's really great. Yeah. I love it. It's very good. It's super cool. And then you had some certain people with defining characters. Like, whenever when I read the book, there's so the character of Roy Batty, which is, I'm going to go ahead and drop a spoiler here. The character of Roy Batty is the main android antagonist, and in the film, he's played by Rutger Hauer, the, the German actor who, no one can imitate him. <laughs> and 
he really brings like a ton of life to the character of Roy Batty, and he actually gives him. I think he gives him more than he had in the book. Okay. Because in the book he's like this very plodding, thinking, methodical person who seems to be like they can. Every, people can tell like they're like eh, there's something off with this this particular android. He seems kind of like evil. Yeah. But I mean, you get that with you get that with Rutger Hauer's character. He likes he's very unsettling. He's I mean he's big. He's strong. He's superimposing. He's un, he's like I said he's unsettling to people. But he also is. I think he brings like kind of like a philosophical element to the character that's not present in the books. Where yeah. in the books he just seems like this violent, calculating machine. Mm. He's like a plotter. Yeah, I think uh, that probably has a lot to do with his um, physical performance, right? Yeah, and like the stuff that he says and the way that he says it. Mm. Because the thing that the Rutger Hauer, the Rutger Hauer character is contemplating is what I said. He he is a machine, and he's wondering. He is thinking to himself, like, what he wants is he wants to he wants to live longer. Right. He's wondering why he can't be human. Why, why, what, what is separating him from being like them? Mm-hmm. Why can't he feel what they feel? And I mean, as his body is shutting down in the in the end scene that I will always have in my mind forever <laughs> for my entire life. I mean, he sticks nails in his hands because he's trying to feel something. Yeah. Because his body is shutting down. His machine and his fake nerves are ceasing to operate. When he dies in the end, he he utters that classic line, all these moments will be lost like tears in the rain. Yes. Yeah. Time to die. <laughs> um, so, clearly, you like it quite a bit. Yep. It's my fave. Um, so how about like compared to other movies that you like put on a top top tier like why why this over that one others such as it why uh, just this? kind of like a, maybe a more realistic type of uh, approach or just kind of the story resonates more with you or something like that the story really resonates with me because I think I really like the philosophical questions. Yeah. Another thing that I think is really cool, this is just something that I personally believe, but I believe that the future of humanity will be dystopian. Most likely. Unfortunately, for whatever that means, I believe that we will deplete a lot of our resources and kind of destroy our environment, and things will be ruled by megacorporations. Yep, definitely uh, heading in that direction. That's just what I think. (laughs) So factually heading in that direction already uh, unless it's turned around I mean there's uh, clearly crises that are at hand or upcoming and it's kind of uh, ignored or pushed off so I, th- I think definitely a dystopian future could be a very 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 likely type and I mean one one thing I love about sci-fi it's one of my favorite genres is that they predict so many things yeah. that have come Accurately, to pass now. Too. And, yeah, yeah, with a weird prescience, it's especially really William weird. Gibson. I mean, William Gibson, he, he, I talked about him. He's the one who wrote Neuromancer. He is the person who, he coined the term cyberspace, which yeah. we use in our daily <clears throat> lexicon now. And the whole, like, virtual reality type thing, that's that's all him. I don't think the Matrix could exist without him. Yeah. Because it's all about virtual reality, and he kind of has people that jack in. I mean, it's not like a it's not like a, a stem that goes into the base of your skull. He has like a electrodes that go on the around this around the head. 
mm-hmm. in his in his works. But I mean, I don't think the Matrix could exist without him. Yeah, probably not. And so I think that's super important. But another thing, I mean, I have other movies on my like favorites list that are more realistic. But for all the reasons that I've said before, just this one, of, yeah, it's just something about it it's clicks just with above. you. Yeah, yeah, it's just really, really good. Yeah, I can certainly I can uh, watch it infinite times, and I love Harrison Ford. Yeah, I, I think, think he's it's, in like three. It's definitely got to be that like that combination of like performance and story and resonation with your, you and everything about it just kind of works out for which is the good thing about opinion is that it just kind of everything works out for that specific yeah. person i know that blade runner is also like a lot of people really do like it a lot yeah yeah, yeah it's definitely popular especially now yeah uh, i mean it's definitely like you said kind of gone through like that cult classic thing yeah uh people and people have definitely. sought out like the good copy like what's the one to watch yep because there's so many or even just experimented with all of them I've seen three of them. <laughs> That's so. more than I've seen. Not the metal pieces. And yeah. I, I, there's a lot of them there where I can't honestly explain all the differences off the top mm. of my head. But <laughs> maybe that's something for another time. Yeah. It is definitely, objectively, a uh, good film. Yeah. Just period. It's very good. There's uh, very few people who could really... It would take a lot of arguing to convince someone that it's not a really Like, say that film. it's technically bad. Yeah. I mean, there's pioneering. There's a ton of pioneering stuff with it, too. They pioneered... This was obviously... I don't think there's a single piece of CG in it. Well, there wasn't really... That didn't even exist yeah. at the time. Of Even when the, he was doing, like, his touch-ups, because he didn't alter the film a ton. He didn't add some stupid CG stuff like George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, it would make it... Looks, not George. not blend <laughs> in there but like they, the practical effects are really cool I mean like the, the hover cars mm-hmm. they had them lifted up on like cranes and wires and they had some steam when he flies into like the big police building that's actually a piece an extra set from Star Wars really? <laughs> yeah and they use like stuff like the big police station with the lights on it in the beginning they used extra extra model pieces from Star Wars and they filmed it miniature that's crazy. Which is how a lot of Star Wars was also filmed, was with miniatures. Balling on a budget. Yeah, I'm, I'm always impressed in, like, past, especially sci-fi movies, how oh, yeah. good they made miniatures look. It's insane. Yeah. Like, the, the miniatures in Star Wars, like, they look damn good. Yeah, they do. And then, it's like, crazy. The first one, like, the space battles, like, that stuff looks really <laughs> good. Yeah, that, that stuff is, like... Like just, just the ingenuity of like they figured out a way to like do that. it exactly. Yeah. Like now it's like CGI and just oh CGI. Yeah, nothing easy. nothing against CGI because it's a great. It can be an art form. Yeah, but it also can be a cop out. It's great, but the, exactly it can be a cop out where back then you don't like, have to work it. It's like I had this vision back then. It's like you have to figure out how you're going to exactly. do it. Exactly, I have a vision, but we need to figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, it came from some great ingenuity, like some miniatures or claymation type of stuff. Even sometimes or, they they fig- they figured out a way. Yeah. They it's, made a way. It's crazy how far a vision can take you when you when you have such a set. When you vision. have that creativity to inspire you. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's you have ridiculous. to work for it. You have to work hard for it, especially back then. Uh, yeah, real high. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think that's about all I have to say on Blade Runner for now. I mean, yeah. I also love 2049. Yeah. It was very good. 
great movie. I like that one as well. Informed by the what? book as well for my yeah. that I have seen since I've read it because I've read the book after I watched both. So you like, so you like um, original stories, but kind of uh, not necessarily borrowed, but but examples or some elements taken from the core material. Yeah, I mean, I think that they didn't. The book doesn't. The twenty forty nine does not come out of, of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah, it doesn't. I think certain aspects of it are informed by the text, just in things that characters say. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's it doesn't it's not pulled out of it. I think that one of the reasons why I love Denny Villeneuve, the director, yeah, is because I am fairly positive that he read that book. <laughs> Uh, and he so. and he obviously saw the movie. I mean, you can't be a sci-fi <laughs> person living now at all and have not seen Blade Runner. Yeah, pretty if much. If you are, I don't even want to talk to you. And especially if you're going to take up a sequel to it. <laughs> yeah, he had to watch it. <laughs> and you had to read the book. I mean, you have to know what this is all coming from. But what I really loved about him is I feel like he he I feel like he paid close attention to certain parts of that book. I feel like he was looking for things that did not originally occur in the first Blade Runner movie. He was mining it for things that he could put in a sequel that would be unique. He found them. Certain aspects about androids becoming Blade Runners is in there. Certain aspects about like the depleted moisture, kind of like the desert environment where where Deckard is. Yeah. Spoiler again. Uh, so, some of the stuff like that, I feel like he, he paid close attention. He's directly pulled it out of there. So I think that 2049 is a great sequel to a great film. You know, the great part about that even is... Uh, I love Ryan Gosling as well. Yeah, Ryan Gosling is good. He's great. Great. Love him. Love you, is Ryan Gosling. Uh, he's, he's pulling that out of there. Like, he's pulling specific things that weren't used in the original, but he's not doing it just to be like, oh, I need to be original. It's kind of like... It's almost, I wouldn't say it's organic to him, but yeah, it's exactly. organic to it's his, organic. his creation process. Yeah. It's, it's really, really well done because he makes it organic to yeah. what he does and what he made. Um, yeah. That guy's been on a, on a burn. Yeah. For like the past Crazy. eight years. Like he's, he can't touch anything and have it not be gold. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which makes me very excited for Dune coming oh, I'm up. I'm so excited for Dune. I'm reading Dune right now. I've never read it. I've never seen it. It's but good. just knowing that he's got his hands on it and the cast he has on that. Oh, I'm looking forward. Making me excited for it alone. Get it. And I really hope he's going to get Roger Deakins, the cinematographer, for 2049 back. That would be great. Is he the kind of guy who works with, uh, likes to work with a lot of the same people? Oh, yeah. Or for specific things who, like D- that? Denny? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. He is. Good. I mean, he loves Jake. If it works, it works. He, he loves keep working. using it. He likes working with the same guys. Good. You know we, you know we do. So, uh, anything more to add on Blade Runners? Uh, oh. For now, I'm good. I think I've spoken a decent amount about it. Yeah. Good, a good amount of Blade Runner. Uh, great film. Zuh. Both of them. If you ever want to get some good stuff, uh, they. If you want to get some really the, the deets, get watch the watch the documentary of the making of Blade Runner. It's called Dark Days. Uh, if you buy the final cut special edition, I'm pretty sure it all comes preloaded on there. But go ahead and watch Dark Days. It's gonna it's gonna take you through all the trials and tribulations of the crazy crazy making of Blade Runner, and it's it's a good watch. I want to watch it again soon. 
because I, I had a good time. I do. I, I do too, because I I've only seen it the one time. You seen Dark Days? Oh no, I'm talking about Blade Runner. Sorry. Oh, you should watch Dark Days too. Dark Days? Yeah, it's okay. on the DVD that I have. Is it? Yeah. I need to watch that then. Um, yeah. So Blade Runner, great movie. Check it out. His favorite. Now I guess we'll uh, go to mine, which is much more controversial opinion <laughs> than his, and probably a few people whose favorite movies are. Uh, Critical and financial successes. Um, mine is Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, the ultimate edition. I will say. I think that's a key point. Yes, it's definitely a key point. That's thirty minutes. They're quite different. They are really quite different. Yeah. Especially, um, not just the plot, but uh, the ultimate edition makes it rated R. Which really? Is, yeah, it does. Um, there's some extra. Blood added in, some swears, and a little bit, a little bit of uh, adult themes added to it. But um, oh yeah, Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition, not to be confused with the director's cut because Snyder didn't make the cut. Oh, I thought was, that was the director's cut. No, uh, okay. There's more that Snyder personally says that he would have added to it. Um, I would have watched it, but I don't think many other people would have. So the studio. How and him, long would that be? Probably four three hours? and a half, four hours. Oh, <laughs> We're getting on Godfather length. <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't know. If does the Godfather? I think the well studio know. worked with him and maybe some the uh, the writers of it and kind of made up this version to make the plot a little longer and a little more kind of a uh, clear. Because um, the writers of it, uh, the ones who have the writer credit, the big two are uh, Chris Terrio. From Justice League, also, he's uh, on Batman as well. Yes, BVS. He's on BVS. <laughs> okay, and David S. Goyer, who was a writer, he's on, on he's on the Nolan trilogy. Yeah, and yeah. he was on Man of Steel. Okay, um, some and people like to deride that guy, Goyer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure why. I don't. I don't. I think they kind of maybe people blame him for certain things that happen in this universe that may not have, or maybe it was his fault, but. He was a writer on this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously directed by my man, Zack Snyder. Zacky Snides. The one and only. You're a real hit or miss guy. Yeah. Uh, for me, he's a mostly hit. Um, yeah. <laughs> what about the uh, the Guardians of Gahul, though? Never seen it, so <laughs> I can't say anything about that one. But I do like Man of Steel, like Batman v Superman, and I feel like I would have liked his Justice League. Um, if it was his vision. Yeah. Oh, and maybe. I did like Watchmen. Uh, I like that one. And 300. The graph now was better, though. Yeah. That can definitely be said, but I I like that. 300's fun. He makes his own thing. Yeah, 300 is fun. See, it's good. It's good. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's all over the place. Yeah, so he... Don't ever watch Sucker Punch. He definitely had a hand in probably writing it, um, producing it. He directed it. He did the casting for the major roles in it. I know that for a fact. Did he pick uh, Gal Gadot? Yes. He picked her. He actually posted recently a picture from her on her first day of meeting her. And he said she didn't know it at the time, but I had already picked her as my Wonder Woman. Mm. He picked her. He picked Jason Momoa as Aquaman. He picked Ben Affleck as Batman, which he had to convince to be Batman because he thought you convinced Ben to be Batman. Yeah, Ben thought he would be a bad Batman. <laughs> and 
uh, Zach told him, I have a specific vision. Sometimes I, I feel like on screen he thinks that while he's playing it, he's like, I'm not doing well <laughs> in certain scenes. He's like, I don't like this. I don't want to do it. I think definitely in Justice League. Yeah, he's like, he's oh, like I'm the board. I think at the very least, it's uh, I had a there was a certain vision that was told to me, and this is not it, and I am disappointed and angry. Yeah, um, but yeah, he casted them. He also casted Ezra Miller as Flash, which okay. he didn't. He casted basically all the main leaguers. He also cast uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Lex Luthor. I'm not exactly sure, but I think he did uh, Amy Adams too as Lois Lane. Okay. But he definitely had a big hand in the subplot of that movie. He's taking risks here. He's yeah. He's a risk taker. He's just picking people. Um, Aquaman thought he was coming in. Jason Momoa was coming in for a Batman. <laughs> uh, for a Batman audition. Too hairy, my friend. Yeah. We don't want you to shave that beard and stuff. We, we think that's cool. So he auditioned as Batman, and Zach said, I think you would be good as Aquaman. He's like that clean-shaven white guy with the Nazi looks. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're going to revamp that. And he was like, yeah. yeah, I'm down. But he he cast all these characters. He had to sell Ben on the vision. He cast Henry Cavill, relatively unknown at the time. Uh, well, when, when Man of Steel was being Yeah, Man of Steel. Because that's when he cast him. He was just basically, he, had the, he was in the Tudors, that show. Yeah, he was in Immortals. I don't yeah, know that, that was, was good. He was, or, I think that was, he was the main character. Yeah, he was. Yeah. But it wasn't like a... That movie did not movie. do well, yeah. critically or commercially. <laughs> yeah. But he uh, was still... That's about it, I think. Yeah. It's kind of unknown. As far as I know. Yeah, relatively He's unknown. He's done some British stuff. Yep. Most of his characters, relatively unknown. I mean, he is. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, the characters, Snyder... Oh, Cassidy. like the actors. Yeah. Yeah, besides Ben. Um, yeah, Ben and then Momoa was... Jesse Eisenberg was pretty well known. Yeah, Jesse Eisenberg. He'd done a lot of high-profile stuff. He also did Cyborg. Ray Fisher is Cyborg. Don't know who that guy is. I don't... He was actually never in film before. Oh. From what I know, he was a stage actor. You don't say. He was a stage actor, and since then he's been in True Detective, and uh, I think some other things. He was a stage actor, and I think Snyder saw him when he was acting Muhammad Ali. Okay. On stage. I could see that. Uh, yeah. I could too. <laughs> um, but yeah, he picked all these actors. Um, different visions, obviously, from what uh, Christopher Nolan had with his Batman, which was obviously a... Real, realism is realism key. Realism is key type of approach. Uh, he was also a producer and helped keep the executives off of Snyder's back during this movie mm-hmm. so that he could kind of do his vision for it. Yeah. Um, what he came up with is Batman v Superman. Batman v Superman obviously is the main core of the plot. You would think is Batman fighting Superman, which is really um, Lex Luthor manipulating both Batman and Superman to fighting each other. Um, this is, to me, this is my favorite version of Batman. This is my favorite version of Superman. This is my favorite movie because it takes. My favorite things, mostly at least, graphic novels. It takes a version of Batman uh, with The Dark Knight Returns and changes a little bit. The Dark Knight Returns version of Batman is crazy. Older. Old. And jaded. Jaded. (laughs) Yes. 
He's a different version of Batman, but like Ben was older. pretty damn close though. Yeah, he was he was pretty close to it. Yeah. Um people to death. Yeah. <laughs> and they did not ignore that, which which I liked about it because if you look at the old I won't even say old because it was even in the Christian Bale Batman films. Mm-hmm. Look at them. Uh, he's killing people uh, unintentionally, supposedly, or yeah. inadvertently. Or, or not as bad. Causing like, their death, but Keaton. not murdering them, I guess. Or, like, yeah, like Keaton. Mostly, like, I think the only thing, in the Christian Bale ones, I only really think of Roz and uh, uh, Dent. Yeah. Yeah. He, he pushes him off the edge and he dies from it so yeah. he killed him but he's not that bad he's not that bad they, they also acknowledge that's like they're like if you're gonna be this Batman ass vigilante type hero yeah. there's never gonna be this black and white there's no there's never gonna be this black <laughs> and white where you just be like yeah this is what I do this is what I don't do that's not ever gonna happen yeah it's it's gonna get it's gonna get realistic hazy. version. It's gonna get hazy. It's gonna get you're gonna have to make some really hard choices one of these days. Yeah, and like it's like it's like he says like I don't I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whoops. And that's uh that's kind of like one of the main issues because because Batman's basically the the villain of Batman v Superman. I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> or he's an antagonizer at Definitely. the very least. Um. And what he does uh, but is... But you also... It's weird because you're like... It's Batman. They want you to choose sides. Pretty much. Kind of, I think. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a... It's a grudge match. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's no winning side. No. And you know they're both being manipulated by Luther. But it's kind of like... Who do I want more? So... You did a good job asking me some questions about to motivate me about like why that was my favorite film. Okay. Why do you like Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor? Because I totally hate him. I know this is <laughs> that your opinion is a common opinion. Yeah. I think that it annoys the shit shit out of me. Whoops. If you <laughs> if you look past the physicality and the physical look of the character where in the comics um, Lex Luthor is I, mean, a, I, just, I just his mannerisms yeah, he's a muscular character. He's a bigger guy. He's bald. Uh, originally, in the comics, he does have the red hair like that. But I think Jesse Eisenberg's char- version of the character is a it's a a modern ish version yeah. of it, where he's kind he's of like techie. A, a techie, like he's like a uh, socially awkward he's kind, like kind ADHD. of yeah, kind of CEO of his company. I feel like he's just doing social network Mark Zuckerberg on like. <laughs> Global villain scale. See, I feel I see it as uh, a little more than that because I see him as he's he's manipulating every single person around him. And then there's even parts where when he he like comes that lady in with the bourbon. Yes, <laughs> he comes into contact with her for the first time, and she said he says, uh, "How are you doing?" or something like that. And she's like, "Really good." And he's like, "He's supposed to be really well." Yeah. He's so smart that he's like, even under his breath, he can't help but correct what she's saying. And it's like, he doesn't understand people as like a social type of thing. He doesn't, he yeah, doesn't know how to interact. A computing interact. brain. Yeah. He doesn't, he's smart and he doesn't interact with people socially normally. He just kind of tells people in his company what to do and how to do it. And the people he hires as well. So he's kind of like the super socially awkward, like, I'm going to do what I want. 
and I believe this and this, and it's going to happen this way. And it's like there's no in-between. I guess it's hard for me to pick up on the the more nuanced elements of his performance mm-hmm. because I just find his delivery so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just... I think that's, that's part of it as me. well. Yeah. Is, is, it's like he's a villain. He's not going to be liked, and they're like... They're going to make him I don't weird. Wanna, I don't want to like, yeah. like him. I just want to like... Uh, well, I mean like... I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, because um, they should have got Michael Rosen. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely options for the traditional version that they could have done, but I think that, that guy's not mu- he's not muscular. Nah, he's he's just thin, bald. Yeah, bald. I he like looks right. Guy. He looks right for his. So good. Yeah, <laughs> but I I just think that like the the small parts of his performance are great. Uh, the, this especially the part that matters the most because Lex Luthor is supposed to be the smartest person on the planet. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Wayne is close behind him, but Lex Luthor is that guy, and I think that... At least one of them. Yeah, and I think that that version that they have in there of him kind of like, I'm the smartest guy in the room, and I'm going to try to be charismatic, but I'm not very good at it, so I'm going to fuck it up some... Oops, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to screw it up sometimes. Um, and it's still like people kind of like understand it or they're just like oh whatever it's just he's an eccentric billionaire but it's really like he has that license yeah i'm the smartest guy in the room and i'm gonna do what i want and no matter what i do people aren't gonna say anything about it except for that senator so that's why he's kind of spiteful against her for what she does and she denies his license to import the kryptonite so he (laughs) kills her (laughs) pretty much i don't remember that part that well uh, when they blow up the the build the state capitol building the capitol building she's pretty much holding her hearing with Superman oh okay yeah so, and he does some dives and he like mocks her by having that like granny's peach tea that's supposed to be pee so he mocks her oh, before yeah. she dies uh-huh. um, yeah he really doesn't care about it said it boy <laughs> but yeah this movie I like the small parts of it, the little Easter eggs they have in it, the the little performances. The the way when I first saw Ben Affleck was going to be Batman, there was a I was indifferent. Yeah, a lot of people were either indifferent. I was I don't I was like I don't know, and then a lot of people were like, he's going to be the worst ever. I was kind of like I'll see. Yeah, a lot of people were like, I think he's going to be the worst ever. No matter what you say, he's going to be terrible. And then I saw the trail, the little teaser trailer they did where he's looking, he's standing there as Bruce Wayne looking into the mask of Batman. And yeah. in the, the cowl, the cowl, you can see just black. And it's kind of like that looking into the abyss and the kind of like embracing the psychotic-esque aspect of Bruce Wayne. And I was like, I think that that makes a very good performance right there. And I think that he's going to be good. Yeah, and he kind of proved it to me at least throughout the entire film that the small parts and the every part of him is is a good Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne, uh, as an older version and also a great Batman, mm-hmm. especially a jaded Batman that's been doing this for so that long. That part is good. Yeah. One thing, um, one thing about it though is the uh, the dream sequences. And the way yeah. that the dream sequences are plotted, I feel like they are confusing. Mm-hmm. I feel like the dream sequences are confusing, even if you're a fan. 
Okay. And I feel like if even if you're not a fan, <laughs> you're like, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. Uh, I think that can definitely be a uh, confusing aspect. I think the biggest thing that people see, think, is like, is that real or not? Because like some of them at the end of the dream things are like, oh, okay, that was clearly just a dream, hallucinatory. Yeah. But some of them are like, I did it end, or like, are we going to a different time? That's yeah. Also real. So from the very beginning, he's lifted up in the air by the bats, and then he's like, in the dream, they brought me to the light. It's it's. I think it's showing a lot of a. Uh, he has, like, little kind of psychotic aspects of his personality, and he's uh, definitely not a normal guy dressing no, yeah. up like a bad, doing this for 20 years and stuff like that. But uh, the dream sequences with the Flash, it's like, is this real or not? But when he really, really wakes up at the end, you see the papers flying down in the background. So, you, so it's supposed to be real. That was supposed to connect to... What about the when he's, like, the duster coat? Yeah, that that's what I'm talking about. Okay. That's supposed to be the Flash was... Um, that's the future? Showing him the future, and that oh. was supposed to be Justice League 2 with the vision that Snyder had. Because he, he did that to connect to Justice League 2. We're getting deep in the weeds. Deep in there. <laughs> which I like, because he had, he had a vision. He had a complete vision that he had planned out for at least three or four movies straight out. So that's kind of like when you watch the Justice or Batman or Superman, you're like, where does this go? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like small, it's like Kinda scenes that they do that aren't going to pay out in this film. So they could have left it out, but I think that, I like that they put him in there because it shows that he had an overarching plot for yeah. the entirety of the universe. It gets confusing for me. But yeah. I, can... I, I definitely understand <laughs> the confusing aspect of it because uh, you have to kind of dig into it to know every part yeah. of it so so for the casual esque part of it it's kind of like just as a movie this happens this doesn't really directly impact the current <laughs> plot of the film but as like an overarching universe it, I like it a lot yeah which is what I kind of grade it as for all of it is like what, what is what was he gonna do what, the product think as a whole gonna, yeah exactly fine with my love of Man of Steel and the future that he was going with with this universe as a whole. So just just to put that out there, it's kind of like a combination love that makes this my favorite movie. <laughs> so like if this movie was alone, yeah. So if this movie was like completely alone with no prior context, it, it, I would probably still like it a lot, but it would definitely not be as much. Cool. So. One thing about Batman versus Superman, and you said this is the what what what's the version that you like called uh, uh, the extended edition. The extended edition. One thing about this extended edition is that it's quite long. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I believe it is over three hours, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And that stands up with some of the longest of the cinematic achievements. That's about as that's up there with the Godfather's Part One and Two. Uh, as almost as, and Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. So is 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 Zack Snyder saying that his film is as great as these? No, I don't. I mean, to me, let's with my opinion, yeah. But um, no, I think this is just sort of like uh, this was not. Or it's the just one. like a footage. Here it is. Yeah, it was kind of like all right. People were kind of not understanding exactly what was going on in some of this stuff, so I'm adding a little more to the plot. 
And uh, this is not a theatrical release version of the film. It makes a little more sense. When yeah, you watch it makes that it make one. a little more sense. Um, but this is kind of like a like, hey, fans, here you go. Here's some more. Here's some more of these characters. Here's some more of this stuff going on. Um, it's not like uh, let's. Let's just extend it as long as we can. <laughs> you know, it's run that kinda, clock. Yeah, <laughs> not run that clock. Um, it has, yeah, it has a lot of stuff that's going on in here that is like, I feel like it was kind of Warner Brothers and himself kind of like fanboying out because he he appreciates and likes the comics and all these characters and stuff. So it was, I think it was kind of that along with Warner Brothers kind of saying like. The, the the Marvel Universe is doing this. We need to compete. So he was like, all right, I'm going to do as much as I possibly can to world build, and we can edit out what we need to edit out, and then the direct the not directors. The extended edition was kind of like, let's add a little more to it. Mm. So they're, they're trying to build a universe at the same time as making a good film. Yeah. So that, I think, kind of explains the really long version. I think if they, the content... Yeah, the the content, the additional content is definitely like a extending the universe and uh, extending the plot to make it a little more cohesive to the average moviegoer, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally, I love the extended edition. I think that the small parts of the plot are good, great. I think the performances are great. Uh, I think all the characters work very well together and. Th- it's actually really good, and this is one of those things that you would think is kind of like a little added plot that is kind of pointless, but the only one who knows the real story behind what Luther is doing ends up being Lois Lane, and that has to do a lot with her... her snooping. Uh, her snooping for her journalism. Is yeah. that she, Superman doesn't know the whole thing. He knows what Luther wants him to know. Batman doesn't know the whole thing. He's one of the smartest people in the world, and he's still being manipulated by this guy. But Lois Lane, being the objective observer, uh, figures out this whole plot by herself, which is a really cool plot element to help you figure out everything that's going on. Yeah. It's like she's almost like the audience, which is actually brings me to the, the third or fourth main character in the film. We have Superman. We have Batman. Lois Lane, if you want to add her as a main character. But the other big character in the film is the media. media. The media is a huge part of this because it's how the world reacts to Superman. And it's the only interpretation that Batman gets of Superman is from the media and Luther. So it's yeah, kind of like... he's never met him before then. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I saw odd. this guy destroy the city while fighting this guy... And I see what the media says about him and the footage that they have. She's watching, like, Man of Steel footage. Yeah. Essentially. From the ground of it. Yeah, essentially, like, camera, cell phone. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's, the media is a huge part of it because their opinion of Superman kind of helps shape Batman's opinion of him. And he sees, all he really sees is how powerful he is. That's what he gets. And that's what happens is he says, this guy's really powerful and kind of makes humans feel inadequate and it kind of makes people kind of view him as a god. So that's all they really have of him. So one thing I would like you to weigh in on 
especially for this movie and others. And I feel like this is a trend with DC because they did it here, and they did it with Wonder Woman as well. I feel like they keep a really... They have a pretty good plot, pretty tight, until the end. Yeah, the third act. The third act, the third act, they just do this balls to the wall, just CG mess fight scene. Yeah, I This movie is guilty of that, in my opinion, because it lost me in that part. Like, I liked it actually a decent amount until then. Okay, I, I agree with, I can see that for sure. Wonder Woman as well. Was I think case. Wonder Woman was kind of a, a little more, because it's... It's it a lot uh, more realistically shot, I guess. I yeah, know. Wonder Woman is like, uh, hey, there's a, she's a god. At the end, it's like, hey, the god shows up. The god's got to fight. Let's blow yeah, some stuff up. Same old man mustache. And <laughs> yeah, and he looks up. really weird. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, Batman v Superman, it's Luther finds the Kryptonian ship. Yeah, he's had it the whole time, right? Uh, he gets access to it from one of the like senators. He knows it's there. It's, yeah, it's been, everyone knows it's there. It's like he a can't, he can't get in. Star Labs type controlled thing. Yeah, he can't where, get in. Until yeah, so he gets bit. access, and then he uses the Kryptonian archives to learn all about these worlds that they explored and what they've done and. Obviously learns about how to make Doomsday because from what Snyder said is that this is not the it's Doomsday. It's a Zod plan, right? Yeah. Uh, and then he uses Zod's body and after learning about he how to make Doomsday. turns up the 3-D-E-D-E-D-3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, uh, basically makes a contingency to, because obviously he admires Batman. To an extent, because Batman does all this incredible stuff, and he's obviously a human. He knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and he says, if a human can do this, maybe he can defeat Superman, which he, like, in, intrinsically has a problem with his existence. Luther does with Superman's existence. Mm-hmm. So he says, maybe human can beat God. And when that doesn't happen, or even though he thinks it could happen, he makes a backup plan. Which is what he learned from the Kryptonian ship. He is Doomsday. So he makes Doomsday. Batman obviously doesn't kill him. Uh, and then he makes Doomsday and he... I would is, say that like the Doomsday fight is like the fourth act. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like the third act is Batman versus Superman. Yeah, exactly. And the fourth act like, is like hey, Doomsday. Here's this. Like, it's like the backup plan. I kind of I wish it wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, but that's just my opinion. I think that's also. I part feel of like the I feel like if the movie plot. ended after the Batman vs Superman fight, it would have been so much better. I think it could have, but it also would not have introduced Wonder Woman. That's the only thing. Um, and then there would be no death of Superman, which is obviously a huge thing in the comics, which is As why it, they did it is for the rest of the movies. Yeah, it's the overarching story yeah. of the Snyder verse that he's making is that. Uh, basically, it was Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Justice League is the no, arc no, that no, Superman no. has to become the Superman that everybody knows and wants to see. Which so, if we look, I think a good way to look at it would be like to look at the, and we can compare the Superman trilogy to the Marvel's Captain America trilogy. Yeah, because he in the Captain America he starts off on his own, mm-hmm. a Captain America movie, and yeah. like Man of Steel, he starts off on his own. And then in Man of Steel, uh, and then in Batman Superman, would be the second of the Superman trilogy. Mm. He's with somebody else. Yeah. And then it's Batman. And then in Winter Soldier, 
It's like that. And then the third one, it's all... Everyone. Convoluted. Kind of. Avengers. Yeah. yeah. Pretty Civil much. War. Yeah. So it's similar. Yeah, it's definitely similar. Um, but it was like the overarching thing that Snyder had was Superman has a three-story arc that I want to end with Justice League where he gets resurrected and he learns from everything that's happened and him dying and sacrificing himself uh, to become the kind of Superman that everybody's been like, oh, he's not that Superman, like that he's going to become that. Yeah. So that, that Doomsday fight was kind of inherent because you needed him to die and, I mean... Who else is going to kill Superman but Doomsday? That's what happens from the death of Superman. So he stays faithful to the comics, probably even more so because... If Batman killed him, he'd be extremely villainized. Yeah, exactly. And then also he's hit with the kryptonite grenades to weaken him. He's distracted by Lois, so he wants to sacrifice himself a bit. And then Doomsday kills him. (laughs) So it's kind of like this... Yeah, it's all part of the overarching plot, but it's it's also not just like a uh, we need to get rid of this character and kill him. So let's just introduce Doomsday. It's like all these things happen, and he's already weakened, and he still kills yeah. Doomsday at the same time as himself. I just wish they handled it slightly differently. It was just like the background. the 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 background was like so CG. It was yeah, like all red yeah. fire. That that definitely I definitely agree. But it's like like if the, the only one thing, thing the thing I will say that Marvel does well is like they'll take they'll take they'll like film it in a real place and then like put a CG element yeah in it yeah which I feel like that works like if they filmed like a city for a battle and had some stuff and then put the Doomsday CG like mm. beep, like that probably would have looked better. Yeah. Rather than this crazy like lava volcano <laughs> internal field. It's kind of like it's just it looks kind of messy. What do you want to do? Because I mean, with a character like Doomsday and Superman yeah, like, and Wonder Woman all fighting, it's kinda of like this is all CG, so it's like I guess it's stylistic at that point. Yeah, at that point it's kinda of like what do you, does the director want? Yeah, that was just like me, my preference. Yeah, yeah. That's so what I want. <laughs> It's like, what does the director want? How does he want it to look? And what else are you going to do? There's not much like uh, props you can do for <laughs> a big superhero, Doomsday, Superman, Wonder Woman yeah. fight, you know? So that would be my excuse for it, but I, I understand what you're saying. But, yeah, still my my favorite movie. Favorite. <laughs> I love it. Love the characters. Love, love just about everything about it. I'm sure you could find stuff to nitpick. I could, I'm saying. Uh, yeah. But yep. overall, still love it. Because Batman's my favorite character in pretty much any type of media. So seeing he's my close. wants to... He's up there for me. Yeah. Seeing my, like, pretty much ideal version of Batman on film was incredible. Especially that warehouse scene where he fights all those... Well, that's the best part of the whole movie. That was just ridiculous and... Uh, I love that. But yeah, as in general, that... If you ever watch any part of that movie, just watch that once. Pretty much. If you're going to watch <laughs> you have nothing to watch, else, If you have to watch that. only that one part, you should that watch that part. That is the greatest. It's like that thing that we said with Justice League where it looks like a video game, but it doesn't. It's, it fights yeah, like a video is, game, but it looks real. This is like in a, in a good way. When we yeah. said that it looks like a video game, Justice League, we meant that in a bad way where it looks like really fake and dumb. Yeah, here it's like... 
looks it, very he fights like a video cool. game, but it looks real. But with freakish powers. It's crazy. It's amazing. Strength. Freakish strength. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, if you're going to watch any part of that, watch that for sure. You can find the clip. It's online. It's like four or five minutes long. Watch it now. Do yourself a favor. Where is Mark <laughs> Yeah, people don't like that. No, they hate that part a lot. Definitely. It's a callback, obviously, to his parents dying and him snapping out of that kind of psychotic type of PTSD thing where he realizes Superman is a not a human, but he he's has an parents. He's an alien. But he has parents. Yeah, kind of. And he relates to them. Yeah, or he relates to on, him because on, he has on, a parent on, figure. On Krypton, he has parents. Well, he, he views Martha and... and I mean, uh, for all intents and purposes, the Martha and... Jonathan. Jonathan <laughs> are his parents. Yeah, and he, he at least views them, which I mean, is... I he got sent to Earth in a little Goku ball. <laughs> <laughs> like Goku and Dragon Ball. <laughs> it's the same thing. He's still human-esque. He has more human-esque human features. He's powered by the sun. Yeah, he's the sun man. Sun boy. <laughs> but yeah, that is my favorite movie. That is why. If the people have a problem with it, whatever, man. It's <laughs> my thing. <laughs> you can tell us in the comments yeah. if you do, and I'm sure that you will comment on both I'm of our sure. choices. And tell us if you agree and what your favorite movies are as well. Yep. Also, what you want us to talk about. That's always good. Always looking for suggestions. Always. Yep. Yep. So uh, I I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, Those are our favorite movies, obviously opinionated, opinion-based. This is Not So Trivial Pursuits. I am Jesse Cassidy. I'm Dan Fleek. And uh, have a great day. Signing off. Bye-bye.